This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for July 23, 2023. The title of the message is Standing Firm in the Lord. Well, we come now to the wonderful time in which we open God's Word and hear from the Lord. If you would turn with me in your Bibles as we continue in our morning series through Paul's letter to the Philippians, turn with me to chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. If you uh, don't have a Bible or you have a different translation, you can follow along in the bulletin or follow the slides uh, behind me. Before we hear God's word read and preached, let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him uh, for his help to comprehend and to apply what we're about to hear. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, we confess that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord, would you uh, give us a taste of your, for your word? Let it be sweeter to our lips than honey. Uh, Lord, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, Lord, all these things, especially as we hear it read and also as we hear it preached. Be with me, Lord, your servant. Lord, I, I need your Holy Spirit in order to uh, proclaim it and for your people to hear it. Because apart from you, apart from your power and your spirit, we can do nothing. So then, Lord, help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. Uh, earlier this year, um, you know, in answer to our prayers here in Southern California, God gave us a lot of rain. After years of drought, uh, there was torrential rain, and, um, and, and sometimes there were kind of mild storms, right? There were winds and, and, uh, and, and, and rain, uh, and there were even floods in certain parts of of uh, Southern California. And afterwards, I would drive through some of our neighborhoods, 
And every so often I would see some trees toppled over. Uh, and, you know, and I, look, and I thought back about those, some of those storms and, you know, they're, they're, they seemed uh, kind of mild. I mean, the wind would picked up, but they weren't that strong. And compared to some of the storms that I experienced in central Florida, it was uh, really nothing. But some of these large trees just toppled over at these kind of weak gale force winds. And you could see them topple over and you can just see their whole root system upended. And the, and the reason why some of those large trees toppled over while others stood firm was because the roots of some of those trees those weaker trees had atrophied and even died as a result of the drought. So there was, so they weren't firmly grounded any longer in in the in the in in the soil, and so of course it was easy for them to fall over. Uh, but the ones that were smaller and they seemed kind of weak, uh, but they stood strong. Um, you know, the people who who uh, watered them kept them. Um, vibrant, and so they stood uh, the winds, and they stood firm in the ground. And this is the difference between um, trees that would topple over and trees that would stood firm, and it's very much the same in the Christian life. That Christians who are strongly rooted and grounded, uh, those trees that stand tall amidst the storms of life, stand firm in the Christian life. They stand firm in the Lord, whatever may, may come their way. But those who are not, do not. So this morning, I want us to consider Paul's words in which he commands the people of God, the Philippian church, and, and by implication, you and, you and I, to stand firm thus in the Lord. Not only what has gone, gone before, with regards to uh, walking as citizens of heaven and not as enemies of the cross of Christ, but what comes forward in verses two through seven, that this is how they are to stand firm thus in the Lord, that we need to be strongly rooted in the Lord, to stand firm in three ways, uh, in our unity in the Lord, our joy in the Lord, and our assurance, our confidence in the Lord. So we're going to look at the first two of these points, and then the third one we're going to look at next week. So let's look at at, uh, how to stand firm in the Lord through unity and then in joy. So how do we stand tall in the storms of disunity and disagreement? By standing firm, Paul says, in the unity of, Uh, the unity that we have in the Lord and the ways in which that uh, manifests itself in the life of the church. Last week, Paul again contrasted uh, that we are citizens in heaven and not enemies of, of the cross of Christ. And so because of our common citizenship in heaven, because of our common salvation in Christ, Paul tells the Philippians who they are and why and how they can stand firm in the Lord. They are Paul's family. I touched on this last week. Paul says, he calls them my beloved. He says, brothers, 
whom he loves, whom I love and long for. Right? They are his joy and crown. And because of this, he tells them then, stand firm thus in the Lord, and then look at what he goes on to say. That, that grounded in this love, in, this, in, in his deep affection for them, he tells them how to stand firm. And he begins by calling two Christian women, co-laborers, who work with him in the, in the gospel ministry, Yodia and Syntyche, he tells them to agree in the Lord. Why? Because there's some kind of disagreement, a, a division, a fracture in the fellowship and the life of the church as a result of Yodia and Syntyche's disagreement. And so Paul commands them and calls them to agree, to unity. And this is, this is one of the greatest dangers uh, uh, against to the kingdom of God, right? Some people think that we have to only watch out for enemies from outside, but some of the most dangerous enemies are from within. Uh, disunity, disagreement, partisanship, divisions, deep divisions that cause fellowships and churches to break and implode fall apart. You know, when people accuse Jesus of working for Satan, when he would uh, expel demons, when he would uh, uh, push out demons at people who were uh, possessed by demons, uh, do you remember Jesus' answer? He said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Uh, You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that churches have to be united. They have to agree. They have to be one. Because if you are divided, if if there's divisions, it's going to fall apart. And And so the same goes then for the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul reflects that truth here. He's addressing the deep disagreement between uh, these two sisters. And he tells us how we should agree in the Lord. Not only that, that that we should agree, but how. We should agree then in doctrine and theology in the Lord, about the Lord, from the Lord. This is the foundation of the Christian life as well as the church of Jesus Christ. We see over and over again that Jesus will build his church on the solid rock of his word. And as, a, and as an implication of the theology, the doctrines of his word. When Peter told Jesus, uh, you know, when Jesus asked, who do, you, who, do, who do the people say I am and who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter answered, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. And then Jesus replied to Peter's confession and he calls it the rock, on this rock, the rock of, of your confession, the rock of who I am and what you believe about me. On this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. Paul says in Ephesians that we are all members of the church being built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? The teaching of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Uh, Paul says it using the same language as we have here in Philippians 4, in, in, in Thess- 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, he says, stand firm 
and hold to the apostolic tradition taught by us either spoken or by letter. It is on this foundational agreement in truth that we can stand firm. It means standing firm in the core essential doctrines of the Christian faith, of the Bible, what we believe about Jesus, what he's done for us, what the Christian life is all about, how we're saved by grace through faith alone and not by works, not by anything that we do or anything in us, but simply as God's free gift of grace. We can't earn anything. We can only receive it. And if, if, we don't, if we don't agree on, on those foundational truths, we don't have a church. The church is just going to fall apart because there's nothing holding it up. There's nothing that's holding us together. Churches cease to be churches where it, when there is disunity uh, in the core truths. Some, here are some other truths that that, are, that we ought to agree on. These, this is the, the bare minimum, the, the inerrancy and, and the infallibility and the inspiration of God's word, that, that God breathed out his word and it's profitable for the whole of the Christian life, the proclamation and the propagation of the gospel. Uh, it is the, the bedrock truth upon which all other truths uh, are lived out. Uh, the divine and human natures of who Jesus is, who is both fully God and fully man, that he is God incarnate, made like us in every way. He doesn't just look like us. He doesn't just have the, the, uh, the outward appearance of, of, of a human, but he really is in our humanity who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, who slept, ate, drank, uh, uh, suffered, who, who breathed and then stopped breathing who bled just like us, died just like us in order to save us from our sins. Uh, the virgin birth, that, that Jesus, Jesus was, was, uh, was, he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, that he was made flesh, uh, that, uh, that God specially uh, gave him his human nature uh, and he was not ordinarily born, uh, conceived and born the way that we are. And so he, didn't, he did not uh, inherit Adam and Eve's original sin the way that we do. Born, made like us in every way, yet without sin. Why? Because of the virgin birth. The historicity and the reliability of the Bible. That uh, there's a reason why the Bible uh, is not just merely Proverbs and, and nice, trite sayings, but there's stories, there's history, there's records, there's numbers, there's names, there's years, there's dates. Uh, that, um, that archaeology, Near Eastern um, archaeology, uh, when archaeologists would say, you know what, there was no such thing as the Hittites. We've, we have not found any re- archaeological remains of of some of the more obscure peoples that are described in the Old Testament. So the Bible must not be true. Uh, But then, you know, uh, time and and time again, those same archaeologists were proven completely wrong when they discovered Hittite cities, 
uh, whole cities that are buried under, under, uh, under other cities or, or lost uh, in the sands of time because no one else, because it, those cities had been abandoned uh, millennia ago. Uh, but those people really existed. Time and time again, archaeologists are, are discovering the historicity and the reliability of the biblical revelation as a record, a true record of what actually happened in history. Uh, another doctrine being the substitutionary atonement uh, of Christ, that Jesus atoned for our sins. He, he took the punishment that we deserve by taking our place so that our sins are placed, at, so to speak, on him rather than on us. And that by faith, he takes our sins and we take his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, we are justified by grace through faith. It's just as if we had never sinned and just as if we always did what was right. And Jesus takes our place and it was just as if he had always sinned. And just as if he did nothing right. Bearing our sins for us. Uh, so that we might be forgiven, might be saved. The bodily resurrection of Christ, that, that he rose from the grave, not in spirit, not as a myth, not as a nice story, but in reality, when he died bodily, he rose again from the dead bodily. So that when, when his disciples would touch his hands and his feet, they could, they could feel the, the, the holes in the, uh, that the nails had pierced, the, the, the side that the spear had pierced, so that doubting Thomas can bow the knee and say, my Lord and my God, that he literally and truly rose from the grave uh, bodily. And because of that, we will as well, that our destiny is connected so intimately and integrally to his destiny. And because he rose from the grave, guess what? All those who put their faith in Christ, we will too. That is the hope of the resurrection and of the gospel. We can go on and on, but if we don't believe, if we don't agree on these essential truths, and if we're not firmly rooted in these truths, that how can we withstand the blowing of every wind of doctrine, of lies and untruths? How can we know what's true from a lie? How can we be assured in what we believe that the gospel is true? We won't. We can't. We can only stand as firmly in our Christian lives together as we are firmly rooted in our common truths, in the common truths of the gospel, of the Bible, and what we believe. First and foremost, what connects us is our salvation in Christ and, and everything else is built upon that. If we don't agree on what that salvation is, uh, then you know, we're, kind of like, we're kind of like a ragtag, uh, unconnected group of people who just like to sing together, who like to pray together, and to hear a nice little Bible lecture, and that's it. But if we agree in the Lord, then we are so intimately connected. We, we're so intimately connected that we are one body made up of many members, 
but we're one in Christ. And because of that oneness, we can stand firm. We can be strong. Uh, We can be stronger together than we would be individually. Uh, This doctrine then is is not only knits us together, but it also leads us, uh, has a purpose for our unity in the ministry and the mission uh, for which we are gathered. How can we do anything in the church if we don't agree on what we believe? Because if we don't agree on what we believe, then how can we agree on what to do? How can we go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that Jesus has commanded if we can't agree on what that gospel is, if we can't agree on who Jesus is? Look at verse 3. He, he then moves on from, from Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord, and he says, yes, right? Yes, do it. I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Two things here. One, we are all um, folks who are called to be peacemakers, to help, help bring reconciliation so that those who disagree in the church on these core doctrines can agree in one way or another by gently encouraging people um, to work out their disagreements around God's word, but also um, peacemaking to reconcile people if it's, if it's not just in doctrine, but also relationally. You know, sometimes, you know, some, some of our personalities are so unique that we rub some people the, the wrong way, right? And, and part of what it means to agree in the Lord is to extend grace in the Lord. So that when, if somebody uh, doesn't mean to cause us offense, we can, we can forgive them, Right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, and when they purposely do it or when they uh, hurt us in, you know, in a way that um, you know, they didn't intend it but, but it's malicious in some way, then we can lovingly confront them and say, hey, you know, what you did to me, what you said to me, uh, I'm hurt. Um, and then and you give the opportunity for the other person to ask for forgiveness and bring reconciliation and peace so that they would Agree, not just in doctrine, but also in relationship and life. To agree in the Lord in all the ways that we ought to agree in the Lord. And um, not only ought we to do that for each other, but we do it because it's all for the purpose of mission. Look at what he goes on to say. They have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Do you see that? It is for mission and ministry. What does that mean for us as a church here at Faith? It means we are all one members of one body in Christ, that we all have a part to play in the gospel ministry of this church as we labor side by side in the work of gospel ministry. Friends, brothers, and sisters, I don't think we appreciate this truth the way that we ought to. That all of us have a mission and ministry in this church to further the work of the gospel. Sometimes it's a little bit more public and more upfront, like like myself, to speak and proclaim the gospel, to minister, to shepherd, 
to love and to care uh, with my fellow elders. For some of us, it's teaching small group Bible studies, teaching little kids at Sunday school and community groups. For some of us, it's something as, as easy and as simple as, well, maybe it's not always easy, but, but setting up chairs, putting, putting up tables for, for fellowship meals, writing a card, a thank you, or a birthday, uh, calling up uh, a hurting brother or sister and to encourage them and to, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears and mouths. Some of us are lesser known, kind of more hidden parts of the body, but, none, but not any less honorable and important. All of you have a ministry and a mission in the life of our church as we labor side by side. And so what, what that is, it's a challenge to each and every one of you, friends. You can't be passive in the life of our church. You can't be a consumer the way that, that, that our, our culture calls people to be consumers. What, what does this church do for me? What do you offer me rather than can we labor side by side? What can I do for one another? What can, what can we do for each other to serve and to minister? And in doing that, you and I further the work of the gospel together. Because when, let's just say, for example, uh, someone who uh, is skeptical and doesn't believe the gospel comes in and they see one another ministering to each other with the gospel and the love of Christ, it's a testimony to the power and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. Uh, It's something that I can't do for all of you. It's something that we must do together so that Paul can say they labored side by side with me and other ministers of the gospel, other missionaries. So, um, so you're never just a member, friends. You are also co-laborers with me. You guys complement uh, what, we, what we all do together. And, um, and I hope that you'll see your life in this church in that way. Um, we also we also have to remember our unity, our unity in, in our common salvation, the eternal life that we have. Because look at what he goes on to say there in verse, um, excuse me, in verse uh, three. He says, uh, who's, uh, to help these women because their names are, are in the book of life. That the very heart of our unity is that Jesus has written our names. God has written our names before the foundation of the world through the, the ink of, God, of Jesus' blood. He has written our names in the book of life uh, that guarantees our eternal salvation. That when God opens up this book and our name is there, We are in Christ. We have every spiritual blessings. We have been adopted into his family. We are sons and daughters. We are justified, sanctified, and we will be glorified. And we all save together. And that ought to color the way that we see one another and and our common life together in this church. How can we speak ill of 
someone else? How can we have deep divisions with our fellow brothers when, we, when our, our names are together in this book of life? We can't, we shouldn't. And so if we remember that, that our, our names are together on this roster of heaven, as citizens of heaven, um, then we will work always towards unity rather than disunity. So how should we then respond to this truth about agreement, uh, standing firm in, un- in the unity of the Lord? We, we respond to this truth by also standing firm in the joy that we have in the Lord, always and in every circumstance. It's not a coincidence that Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice after telling us that our names are written in the book of life. When disciples were so excited that they could, um, that uh, they were, when they were so excited about driving out demon possessed, demons from demon-possessed people, Jesus responded, he says, don't rejoice in that. Right? Don't rejoice that you have the spiritual power, great as it may be. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. And this then becomes the joy of our salvation. And in this joy, no one can take away. In this joy, we always have in every circumstance the joy of the Lord. It can't be, and our, because our names are written in the book of life, written by the blood of Christ, this indelible ink, it can't be erased, it can't be crossed out. It is eternally and forever written, and therefore we are eternally and, and forever saved in Christ. And uh, no one can take that away. You will always, whatever your circumstances may be, brothers and sisters, maybe you're heartbroken over a tragedy in your life. Maybe your life has not turned out the way you thought it would be. Maybe you're having trouble in your marriage. Maybe you're having trouble uh, uh, with, your, with your child or your children or you're having difficulties at work. Maybe you're struggling in a sin and, you, and your circumstances are, you're just depressed and, and, and dis, in despair because you feel like there's no hope. What Paul is telling you to rejoice in the Lord always, it's not, it's not forego as if that doesn't happen, right? It's not, it's not like, you know, close your eyes to the hardships and difficulties in your life. He's not telling you not to uh, be heartbroken when you're in hard circumstances. But what he is saying is that even in the midst of that, look to a joy that transcends your circumstances, Look for joy that no one can take away. Look for joy that will never change. Why? Because the Lord, if your joy is in the Lord, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then your joy will be the same yesterday, today, and forever, even when the rug of life seems to be pulled out from under you. Your joy, friends, is only as deep and as lasting as what you put your joy in, uh, for what the source of your joy lies. I like the way uh, R.C. Sproul puts it. He says, uh, rejoice, uh, uh, talking about this verse, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I'll say rejoice. R.C. Sproul says this, the key to the Christian's joy 
is its source, which is the Lord. If Christ is in me and I am in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. Even if the Christian cannot rejoice in his circumstances, if he finds himself passing through pain, sorrow, or grief, he can still rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us or forsake us, we can rejoice always. Do you see that? You know, uh, not too long ago, there were um, uh, California banks that were uh, on the brink of, of closing because they lost so much money and, and uh, people, people were, were, were deathly afraid that they would lose all their money because the federal government only guarantees up to a certain amount and they had way more than that guaranteed amount. So they needed to pull out their money before the bank would lose it and it wasn't guaranteed. And so there was this run on everybody taking out their money. Why? Because... They, they thought that, that their money was secure in the bank, and when they realized it wasn't as secure as they thought, they took it out, and what did they do? They tried to put it in another bank, in another place, that they thought would be more secure. That's the way it is how we ought to transfer the security of our joy, not in something in our circumstances that are fickle and can fall away and change at a moment's notice. Right? If our joy is in something in our circumstances, in this world, in our lives that can change, it will never be secure enough. But if we take it that the, the, the deposit of our joy out of those things and place them into, into the hands of the Lord that is infinitely more secure, then no one can take away our joy. Do you see that? That's, what, that's the only way that we can rejoice in the Lord always in every circumstance is to take it out of those circumstances and put it in the Lord who is above and beyond those circumstances. And it will always be secure. Uh, the Lord put it this way, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where no moths can eat, no rust can, can eat, and uh, no thief can steal and rust uh, uh, fade away. For where your uh, treasure is, your heart will be also. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I want to ask you, where is your joy? What is the source of your joy? When when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, um, for you, maybe, you know, your joy is not in the Lord. Maybe your joy is in how much money you have. Maybe your joy is in how smart you are. Uh, maybe your joy is, is, is in how great your life is at this moment. But what happens when all that changes? What happens to your joy? It's gone. So let me just encourage you, friends. This is the gospel of joy in Christ. That transfer your joy to the Lord, who is worthy of our joy, who is the giver of joy, who is the God of joy. That with him there is a, there's a joy that fills our hearts that nothing else in this world can. If you put your joy in the Lord, you can rejoice always in every circumstance, even in the midst of of the veil of tears and the difficulties of life. Don't, don't, friends, brothers and sisters, don't wait 
until the circumstances of life take away what you thought you had, uh, the joy that you thought you had. Transfer it before the disasters happen. So rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Let me just um, get get ready to close here. Um, Blaise Pascal, the great mathematician and Christian, uh, summarized this idea of of putting your joy in the Lord uh, as as the, the goal for which humanity lives. He says this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. This is the motive of every action of every man, including those who hang themselves. That everything we do, we do because we are looking for joy. Uh, we're looking for, for joy in, in things that are fleeting, in things that are worthless, in things that can change. But if you put your faith in Christ, you will find eternal and lasting joy. This is what Blaise Pascal experienced on, on that fateful day, Monday, November 23rd, 1654. He wrote this as a reminder to have his joy in the Lord. He, he wrote... Uh, of the joy of his salvation, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers or scholars, certitude, heartfelt, peace, God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, joy, 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 tears of joy, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Uh, may that be uh, the testimony of your heart, that the joy that you've been looking for in so many places and in so many things that seem so fleeting. Find that joy in Christ and no one can take it away. So stand firm thus in the Lord through the unity that we have in doctrine uh, and, and in theology, in mission and ministry and in life. To stand firm in that unity uh, stronger together than, than apart, and stand firm in the joy that you have that no one can take away so that you can rejoice always when the world seems to fall apart, but your joy is there, then you can, you can rejoice even in the midst of those difficulties. And the reason we can do that is because we can stand firm in the Lord because the Lord stood firm for us. He stood firm in the temptations uh, by Satan. He stood firm when he was falsely accused and firmly nailed to the cross for our sins. He stood firm when he took the punishment and penalty that we deserved and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit, breathing his last breath. He stood firm to the very end. Why? So that we can stand firm in him. And next week, we'll look, we'll look at how to stand firm in the peace and the assurance that we have that comes through prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for for the unity that we have and the, peace and the joy that we have in the Lord. Lord, would you work these truths into our hearts? Some of us, Lord, have 
it, it seems hard to find joy, uh, Lord, but would, we, would you help us uh, to, to put our joy in you? And Lord, we're not above any church, and we have our disunity and disagreements, but help us. Help, help, help us help one another to agree in the Lord uh, so that we might stand firm together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.